0: Welcome to the New Harvest Podcast. You are listening to Part 4 of the 1 John Sermon Series. Today's sermon is called A New Command, and the scripture reading comes from the book of 1 John chapter 2, verses 6-11. through 11. The Bible says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them.
1: Okay, so, you know, we're going to kind of continue in First John and, and, and explore this question. How do we know that we are truly in Christ? I think that's what John is really trying to get at, and, and that's what the whole letter is about. So John says, whoever lives in him must live as Jesus did, right? And isn't that the question that we've been always asking since youth group, right? What would Jesus do? You guys remember those bracelets? Those what would Jesus do bracelets? Is, uh, it's uh the one that all the like cool Christian kids wore in high school, whenever, when I was in high school. And then so uh, you know the pastor was saying, Whenever you don't know what to do, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Right? And the problem was it's not that we didn't know what Jesus would do. Like I think we all had a pretty good idea what Jesus would do. The problem was that we didn't want to do what Jesus would do right like you sit there uh, would Jesus go to that party would Jesus take that drink or would Jesus think these thoughts and you're like obviously not of course and so I remember like, it became too much for me and I just threw my you know WWJD bracelet away because it was like burdens it was heavy there's a lot of pressure to always be thinking about what would Jesus do what would Jesus do uh, I mean, I was probably the only kind of kid that I actually thought about it seriously, but other, you know, other guys and girls, they just wore it because, oh, some cute guy gave me this or some, you know, guy that I like, you know, bought this for me as a gift, but it really wasn't kind of attached there. So what happened was for a long time, you know, since I was like first accepted Christ in, you know, middle school, or whatever it was, I didn't really think about what Jesus would do, or as John talks about, living as Jesus did. I was focused on having the right belief, the right theology, the right answers, and kind of avoiding heresy, not being a heretic, right? And so, you know, it was all about knowing who Jesus is and knowing what he did for me on the cross and stuff like that. And so being a Christian became a matter of correct belief and knowledge, Right? and so you sit there and you say you know you kind of judge things by belief so Catholics are not saved right, because they worship and pray to Mary the Muslims and Jews are not saved because they don't claim Jesus is the Messiah the Jehovah Witnesses right they have like a completely different scripture and they think all these you know wrong heretical things about Jesus but I'm saved because I have the knowledge of God I know the truth right I know Jesus is his way, the truth, and the light. And I I thought that that's kind of ironic because I was echoing the same arguments, the the, the same sentiments as the Gnostics that John was refuting, that John was going against. Because the, the Gnostics were basically saying that. You need to have this special knowledge to be saved. And one of the kind of consequences of that is your life on earth, like what you do, doesn't matter. You don't have to actually live a Christian life or live as you know Christ did. You just have to have knowledge, and that's what John is arguing about. Is is arguing against in First John against this kind of knowledge type, knowledge only type of faith, right? So he says, whoever lives in Him must live as Jesus did, because when you think about it. There is no greater heresy than disobedience, Who cares if you don't quite understand the Trinity or you don't quite get the concept of original sin or you don't know which atonement theory is correct and stuff if you don't obey him, right? If you don't live as Jesus did. And who cares if you can perfectly understand every doctrine? And you have all the theological answers. You can clearly interpret the, the, the scriptures in the, in the right way. And you know, and, and you can fathom all the mysteries of Christ if you don't obey him, right? So you're saying that you don't obey him because you know that he's God? Like, what are you saying? All right? so the greatest heresy that we can be guilty of is disobedience, right? It's not like what you believe about Jesus or what you believe about the trinity or eschatology or these other things. And life without obedience is the clearest and the most offensive rejection of orthodoxy or, or correct Christian faith. And so Christianity must never be reduced to like these set of formulas or a set of beliefs that are unlived, a set of promises that are untried, or living water that's not drink, drink, I don't know. right? We must as David says in the Psalms taste and see that the Lord is good right and so I think maybe for you guys you have also thought about you have not really thought about living like Jesus for a while you know for, for a while right you've only thought about believing in and having the correct belief having the correct set of you know you know doctrine, or theology, but John reminds us and challenges us saying, if you claim to live in if, if you claim to know him, then you have to live as Jesus lived, you have to walk as Jesus walked, All right? And so, how do we do that? What is John talking about? So, he says in uh, first John chapter 2 7 and 8, he starts talking about what he's talking about, dear friends. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. The truth is, is in him and in you because the darkness is passing and true light is already shining. So he says, look, for John, this is simple. How to live like Jesus is very simple to him. It comes down to one command. And if anyone is familiar with John, you will know which command it is, right? Which command that he's talking about that we have had since the beginning? It is this one found in John thirteen thirty-four, which John heard with his own eye with his own ears, Jesus said to him, right? A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Right? The phrase love one another shows up twelve times in the New Testament, eight times by John. Right? John, that was like John's motto. That was like John's thing. Love one another. At the end of John's life, there's a man named uh, Jerome. He's like a, he was an ancient historian, and he was one of the second generation of Christian leaders after the apostles died. So, after the apostles died, this is John. Uh, this is Jerome writing about John. At the end of his life, John couldn't walk anymore or even sit upright. He will be brought into Christian assemblies on a stretcher by his friends. And he will prop up himself on one elbow and he would whisper to the assembly, little children, love one another, and he will lie back down. The next time they met, he would do exactly the same thing. Finally, someone objected and said, we've heard that it's too simple. What further teachings can you give us? What other emphasis can you bring? And John's answer to that person who objected was this, I say, love one another because it's the Lord's command. And if this is all you do, it is enough. Right, a lot of times we get tired of the same old, same old. We get bored with the stuff that we heard, you know, ever since we were a kid, the same old basic Christian teachings. We want to hear something new. We want to hear something different, something exciting. And it seems like a lot of the early Christians were kind of feeling the same way. They were itching to hear something new out of John. Something new out of the apostles. And the Gnostics were kind of offering that. They are saying, look, you can have this mysterious new knowledge that these basic, regular Christians don't have. Right? They only have Christ and the and the cross but let me show you something new let me show you something better something that will truly set you apart right that will truly make you closer to God and I see a lot right now in churches churches are searching for something new right and new methods new strategies new teachings new praise songs new new ways to engage the youth how to use these, this new technology to get more people right to, to reach more people but a lot of times, a new gospel is only a perverted gospel. Um, look here at Galatians 1, 6, and 7. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Some Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. A lot of times in an effort to say something new and different, people end up saying something new and wrong. A different gospel is really no gospel at all. And I don't think it's intentional. that People are trying to do that. It's just sometimes people pervert the gospel because it sounds too good to be true. So we make it less good, less free, less gracious. And it's something just good enough to be reasonable. God only saves people that really want it or people that really try hard or some other kind of condition than the actual gospel. Uh, other times, we pervert the gospel in an effort to be more modern, to be relevant, to give the people what they want to hear, right? A lot of times you hear that, that the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is out of date and is wrong and it's not doesn't fit with the times. Right? And, and so we have to give people something that's more exciting but John says no don't be deceived by the new things that you're hearing the truth is in the old commands the stuff which you had since the beginning and so a lot of you too you know you grew up with this you grew up with the Christian faith growing up and then you start kind of wondering well, is, it, maybe there's something else maybe there's something new Right, but John is telling us to stick with what you've had since the beginning, right? And keep it simple, right? Love one another because it's the Lord's command, and that is enough. And so this is what he says. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Um, Does anybody know or remember the Rwandan genocide that happened in 1994? So in 1994, in in a period of about three months, more than 800 Rwandans were slaughtered. Right? And the majority, and so the, the, the kind of strange or the uh, shocking thing about it is that the majority of the killings were carried out by ordinary Rwandans against their neighbors using machetes, sticks, and clubs with nails. And what makes it more shocking is that during that time in 1994, an estimated 90% of the Rwandan people were Christian they all claimed to be christian and not only that the majority of the rwandans were catholic and so that meant that often the victims and their killers were quite familiar with each other and had participated regularly in the same eucharist celebrations within the same church so there's a quote from a book that talks about this this, this, uh, about you know this genocide it says Church personnel and institutions were actively involved in the program of resistance to popular pressures for a political reform that culminated in the 1994 genocide, and numerous priests, pastors, nuns, brothers, catechists, and Catholic and Protestant lay leaders supported, participated in, or helped to organize the killings. In most communities, members of a church parish kill their fellow parishioners and even in a number of cases their own pastors and priests right and so i hope that uh, none of you are fighting the urge to kill your pastor even though i bore you to death sometimes i apologize right apologize then um but we may look at kind of what happened in Rwanda and say, that is hate. That's the definition of hating your brother and sister. I don't hate anyone. I'm not a hateful person. I don't have any you know, violent or, or murderous intentions towards anyone in church. So I'm not in, in, in the danger of being guilty of, of hate. Right? But, but the truth is, maybe you may say that, but we don't really love each other either. And so we think that we can kind of safely perch on this branch of apathy and indifference. But John doesn't give us that option. He says, if you're not loving your brothers and sisters, then you are hating them. He doesn't say there's no in-between, there's no neutral space, because that is the nature of God. God always loves. So every single thing that God ever does, every single action, every single... You know, decision is done out of his per, pure and perfect and unchanging love. There's never a moment where God does something out of anger or out of, out of hatred or out of pride. Because the Bible says in first John that God is love. For God, there is no different degrees or levels of his love and goodness. Like he doesn't say, if you do, you know, do everything I say, I'll give you everything. And if you do some of the things I say, I'll give you some of my love. If you do nothing, right? he doesn't do that. He always gives His best. He always gives his total, the the totality of his love. He always loves. He never hates. And so for God, there is no difference between apathy and hate, between indifference and hate. We think that there's these degrees like, oh, I just don't like him, and and I kind of like him. Or you know, we, we think there's these different degrees to it, but not to God. Right? And so Jesus himself, that's what he says. If you're angry with your brother, then you're guilty of murder. If anyone calls his brother a fool, he's in the dangers of the fires of hell. When God judged the uh, Israelites, his people in the Old Testament, it was always because of the things that they didn't do. Not feeding the poor, not taking care of the widows, not helping the weak. In other words, for not loving. He never accused them of hating people, but he said, You didn't love them. Right? For just minding their own business and just doing their own thing. Right? Not for hating. Jesus judged the the Pharisees for the same exact thing. It's not that they hated people, but they just didn't love them. And so in this world, that's the rule. That's the rule of human decency. Just don't hate people. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others how you want to be treated. That's what we tell our children. That's what we, that's like the the, the golden rule for us. But Jesus says, I'm gonna give you a new command that's different from this, right? Love one another as I have loved you. So it's far more, it's far different than I treat others how you want to be treated. That's not the rule anymore for Christians. Right? It is the, the, the rule for us, the command for us is treat others as Jesus treated you. That's our rule. So forgive as you have been forgiven. Judge as you have been judged. So it's not a rule that allows us to stay stay, stay neutral or uninvolved. Love is nothing like that right love is not apathetic or neutral it's more mediocre in any way so the command is to love one another that's the command that john is talking about not to love god right john doesn't say the person who loves god is in the light he says the person who loves others who loves his brother or sister is in the light Many Christians just think, "Oh, if I just love God, that's all that matters. That's what Christianity is about—me loving God." And I've heard this. People say this so many times. I don't come to church for people. I come for God. I don't care about people. I don't care about God, right? And so there's a lot of people like that who claim that they love God, but they actually don't know God because they don't love other people, right? How many of those? Christians in Rwanda said, right? They hated God. No, they all probably said they love God. They all probably worship God every week. So it's possible to love God and believe that you love God and still be in darkness. That's what John is saying, right? And just think about it for yourself. You've been going to church all your life. You've quote unquote loved God since you were a kid, a baby, in youth group children's ministry right so how many of you have loved God for a long time but it feels like you haven't gone very far that your relationship with God hasn't really grown any deeper or any more intimate even though you've been coming to church every week even though you've learned a lot about God it feels like you haven't gotten any closer it kind of feels like you're stumbling around in the darkness It's because you ignore the command to love your brothers and sisters. It's because you hate them. It's because you silently judge them. You quietly distance yourself from people, saying, oh, I don't want to really mess with them. I don't want to hang out with them. They're not worth my time. Because if you knew how much God loved the person next to you, right? If, if you knew how much God loved the person at church, that kid at church, that you grew kid at church, that you would love them too. Then you would give up things to spend time with them. And so John is saying, that's the proof that you truly understand the love of God. That's the proof that you really know who God is. That's the proof that you truly love God. When you start really loving and caring about other people, you kind of start in the same way that Jesus said, go out of your way to love others, right? It is the Lord's command and it is enough. Um, you know, a lot of times we think like it's, it's, it's all about Jesus, right? We had, you know, the song the heart of worship is all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I think Jesus will look at us when we sing that song sometimes and say, no, it's not really all about me. Because I'm not that self, self-centered. I'm not that egocentric that I think is all about me. I want you to go love others and stop loving me. I don't need your love. God doesn't need our love. He is love. But there's other children that need love. There's other people at church, in your community, in your family that need love. Right? of Christ that the church needs love. Um, There is, you know, one person that we are all guilty of hurting and mutilating and breaking and that is the church, the body of Christ, right? Why do you think there are so many denominations? Because we don't want to love someone with slightly different thought process than me. It's just slightly different opinions from me. So we, you know, casually mutilate and divide and cut up the body of Christ. Oh, well, I don't like this trip. I don't like the people here. I'm leaving. Right? I don't agree with this. I'm leaving. I'm not helping. I'm not serving. And so we're like those priests and the Levites in the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're the ones rushing by the bloodied and beat up man to go worship God. We often neglect the church. We often neglect and rush over and pass by the body of Christ to quote unquote worship God and to show God how much we love him. And it's kind of very sad, you know, that Christians don't love the church the way that Jesus commanded. I think so. That's why John holds on to this command. He's like, I know you guys all want to love God. That's great and fine. But the real test is, can you love the church can you love your brother and sister because I am the church the church is my body if you really want to love me then love the church and that is the sign that's how you know that you are in the light that's how you know and so when you start actually loving the church you will see and understand more and more and more about God and you will go you will grow closer to God than you ever have before. But if you only decide to only love God, you will not grow closer. You will still be in darkness and you will be confused. Like, I love God. How come I'm not getting closer? It's because you're not loving your brother and sister. Because You're only focused on yourself and God. And God would never want that for himself. He's not selfish and prideful like us where he wants all the attention on him. He would always tell us to go serve others who are weaker and poor and less fortunate than us. That's what will truly glorify God. So let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, just help us right now to repent, to have a change of heart, that we would stop being so selfish and self-centered in our lives and in our relationship with you. And we wouldn't just come to worship your church but we would truly learn and decide to love the church more and more please change our hearts so that we can truly glorify you in Jesus name i pray amen